0: All right, good morning, everyone. How you guys doing this morning? Um, Awesome, it's good to be here. I I was wrestling with this decision, like, did I make the right decision to stay up last night for the talent show? And just when I thought it couldn't get any worse, no, just kidding, uh, you guys delivered, you came through. I love the crowd, I love the crowd because the crowd was so encouraging, right? I love Gretchen's comment. She's like, it's not talent, but it is courage. We saw a ton of courage last night, that, that captured it. I couldn't get enough of the judges. And then I was glad to see the, uh, the actual talent delivered last night with the Jazz Trio. How about the Jazz Trio? Come on, man, that was awesome. And my man, though, at the end, leading us in that worship medley, dude, that was awesome. I went to bed with uh, some of those songs in my head, and uh, yeah, it was, that was fun. That was fun. You guys, uh, that was great. Well done all around, everyone. Okay, well, this morning, um, and Austin, I never got tired, never got tired of the oceans in the October and all that stuff. Gosh, that was amazing. Okay, well, this morning, uh, we're continuing this uh, encouragement to you of, hey, salt. Stay salty, friends. Stay salty, friends. And what does it mean to be salty? It means to be a preserving influence in this world, to be a colony of heaven and a country of death. And as you guys spread out from the retreat, you, you're like salt in, in meat. Like you keep the world from just decaying and dying because you go as ambassadors, as representatives of Jesus. Jesus asked this haunting question like, but what if the salt loses its saltiness? What good is it? Like, I remember um, go, my wife and I, uh, we, we went to this uh, restaurant. It was a Mexican restaurant. And we show up and we sit down and the waitress comes and she's like, oh, hey, sorry, but we're out of salsa. I'm like, then shut the doors and close the store right a mexican restaurant without salsa is worthless she's like but we've got some guac and we're like we want salsa right that's why you come you come to you know fill up on the meal before with with all the chips and salsa just keep it flowing start an iv start a salsa iv and and that's why you go to a mexican restaurant right but if the if you're out of salsa like what good just lock the doors right that's like salt company without saltiness. Somebody just do us all a favor and shut the ministry down, right? So shut the doors. Stop meeting. Your, your gatherings at one point, scripture, like your gatherings do more harm than good. You're not salt. So the encouragement is stay salty, friends. And last night we talked about staying salty means like not getting so caught up in the hype and the success of, Salt, and we're a part of this awesome movement. It's like, it's about Jesus. That our greatest success is that we're saved. And our names are written in heaven. And, and to keep our focus on Jesus Christ alone. That's what it means to be salty. And this morning, we're going to open 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to find that what can we not lose well, staying salty means staying a people of truth and grace. A truth and grace. If we lose that, we have lost our saltiness. So here's the predicament. Here's the predicament. Second Timothy four three says this. It says a time the time will come. When people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. So they will turn away from hearing the truth and turn aside to myths. Okay, does that sound familiar to us? people have these desires and the truth of God confronts them in ways that they hate Jesus says it this way Matthew seven fifteen. this is right after the don't lose your saltiness thing later in that sermon he says be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravaging wolves Watch out, generation of social media and podcasts and constant flow of information into your ears. Be on your guard. There will be, you will find people to tell you anything you wanna hear. And Jesus says, this is the thing we wanna be on guard from and Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy, Watch out. Be on your guard. I want to tell you a story of uh, something that happened to me as a kid in Minnesota. One of my dearest friends, best friend, Joe Kufal, uh, one of them. I have, I have a handful of best friends, and Joe's like childhood friend. We grew up together, and uh, he actually lives in, in Minneapolis now, he and his family. And uh, so, he has, has a cabin up in uh, at Briggs Lake. It's just south of St. Cloud, um, like north of Monticello or whatever. Um, and we went there as kids, and we were there for his birthday. And I remember just being a little kid. I, I don't know how old, maybe eight or nine years old. And, uh, and there, was a, there was a dog in his, in his front yard, kind of between the cabin and the lake. And, and I went up to pet the dog, and I saw that it was chained. It had a chain around its neck. And I went up to pet it, and all of a sudden, my friend's like, no, 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 don't touch it. I'm like, whoa, what's up? He's like, it's not a dog. It's a wolf. And I was like, whoa. And I looked at it, and it had huge ears and tall legs and, like, a big puffy tail. And I was like, whoa. as a little kid, I was like, it kind of looked like a German shepherd, but it wasn't. It was a wolf! I found out, um, I actually uh, called uh, Joe's mom because I, I wanted to get this story straight, this is a true story. Um, their neighbor had a wolf as a pet. And every once in a while, their wolf, I mean, I know this is hard to imagine, but it would escape their backyard, okay? And. Around the lake, like all of a sudden, people's dogs and pets would go missing. Well, one day, the whole Kufal family, you can imagine this Minnesotans, Minnesotans, or whatever you say. Fourth of July weekend, the entire Kufal family is gathered at the house. Kids, Grandkids, great-grandkids, toddlers, babies, little children. Everyone's just having a great time. And all of a sudden, Grandma Sally gets the call. Our wolf dog is on the loose. And she throws down the phone, runs outside... And you're going to have to wait to hear the end of this story because it's amazing what happens because the wolf does show up. Cliffhanger to begin our morning, right? Second Timothy 4.8, here we go. I won't make you wait long. Second Timothy 4.8. Uh, four verse one, sorry, we're going to look at the first eight verses. He says, "I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead and because of his, because of His appearing and His kingdom. Now let's stop right here. He says, "I solemnly charge you. This is a, this is a technical term that Paul is using. For, it's a term for taking oath. Like solemn means with deep sincerity and seriousness. Something solemn, it's serious. Uh, we think of the president's oath of office. I, you know, We hear this, I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. In ancient Greece, Greece there was the Hippocratic oath. You've heard of Doctors taking the Hippocratic Oath that physicians where they swear in their time, I swear by the healing gods that I will do no harm. This passage is the Oath of Office or the Hippocratic Oath of pastoral ministry. Paul the Apostle is writing to this young Pastor Timothy living in this town called Ephesus. A modern day, I mean, this would be like like Minneapolis, kind of a hip, progressive, cool city. This, it was a port city. There was a lot of, I mean, you think of LA, New York, Minneapolis, kind of a hub of culture, activity, things like that. And he's giving him this, saying, hey, here's the oath that you need to take. And he says, he talks about in the, And I'm saying this before God in Christ, Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead. What that means when we hear living and the dead, he's saying when when Jesus returns, people, uh, most saints will be dead, right? But some will be living. Either way, Jesus is coming back and every single human that has ever existed will give an account. That's what that phrase means. Who's going to judge the living and the dead. Verse 2, here it is. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. Okay, in this verse, we have five commands. We're going to run through these, uh, these commands. Five imperative commands that he gives Timothy. Number one, preach the word. Preach the word. Proclaim aloud the word of God. And he talks about, in in 2 Timothy 3.16, he talks about the scripture that is God-breathed. All scripture, this would be a good one to memorize, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the, the man or woman of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So here's the point here if you're taking notes. Number one, point number one, God's word needs to be spoken God's word needs to be spoken. The oath of pastoral ministry, and I would argue for you as a Christian, is preach the word. Have you guys heard of, um, St. Francis of Assisi has a famous quote. It says, preach the gospel at all times. Use words when necessary. Have you guys heard of that that quote? It's kind of a famous, it's a a cool quote, isn't it? Preach the gospel at all times. Use words when necessary. Now, I know what he means by that. He's saying, hey, live out the gospel in your daily life. But here's the problem with that quote. It's not entirely true, right? Because nobody's going to get saved by my good life, Right? I'm like, Mark, he's pretty good. Jesus, I give my life to you, right? Like, they can see and I can model to them a Jesus kind of life, but nobody's going to get saved unless you speak the words. So that quote, preach the gospel at all times, use words when necessary, would kind of be like me telling you, hey, guys, feed the hungry at all times. Use food when necessary, you're like, I mean, if we're going to feed the hungry, we got to hand them food, right? That's like, just, just model to them what a full person looks like. No, you need food. Okay, if anybody is going to get to heaven, you are going to have to speak the name Jesus Christ to them. And you're going to have to tell them with your words that they must repent and believe the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord and he died for their sins. And he loves them and he wants them in his family. You're going to have to, at some point, tell them that. All of, you can't be like a Secret Service Christian. Like, I'm going CIA into this class, you know. Like, I'm going to just show them. At some point, you're going to have to tell them, like Paul says, preach the word, Jesus' last conversation with Peter, he says, Peter, feed my sheep. Tell them the truth. Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. All right, number two. He says the second command here is to be ready in season and out of season. Here's the point. If you're taking notes, it's always a good time for good news about Jesus. That's what he's saying. Be ready in season and out of season. What, if something's not in season, it's a bad time to do it, right? Like imagine in the middle of January in Minnesota, you're out in the middle of a field walking around with a little sack and someone's like, what are you doing? And you're like, I'm, I'm planting uh, corn. And you're like throwing it on the ice and it just kind of sits on top. Or you're out trying to collect and harvest corn or something like that. Like when it's not in season, it's a bad time to do it, right? Well, what does Paul say here? Preach the gospel out of season. Does this make sense? He's saying it's always a good time to plant the seeds. It may seem like the soil is rock hard. Nobody here in my class, in my philosophy class, wants to know Jesus. He's like, awesome, plant some seeds. Great, great spot to do it. You're like, yeah, it's the middle of the winter. It's not going to work. He's like, "Just, just trust me, do it. This is the equivalent of saying, when it's not popular, preach the word. When it could cost you your job, preach the word. When it could cost you a relationship with someone who's close to you, like a family member, a mom, dad, brother, sister, husband or wife, preach the word. When it could get you killed, oh, that's a perfect time to preach the word. Come on. Be ready in season and out of season. Isaiah 6, do you guys remember this this vision that, that Isaiah had it says, I saw the Lord seated high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory, and around him the, the this angelic seraphim, the cherubim, they're like around the throne, and, and they're shouting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and Isaiah falls to his face, falls to his face, and says, woe is me, I am ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips, and, and, it, uh, one of the angelic beings comes and brings a coal from the fire and touches his lips. And he's like, "He's like, here am I, Lord. Send me. Where do you want me to go? I'll go anywhere for you, Jesus. This is, by the way, this is a prayer I pray a lot. Here am I, Lord. Send me. I prayed it, yeah, before this retreat. Like, Lord, use me. Use me. And this is what God says to him. All right, cool. I'm going to use you. And here's what he says Isaiah 6, verse 10. Go and tell the people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. What he's saying to them is, hey, Isaiah, um, your ministry is going to be speaking to a bunch of people who won't listen. And Isaiah asks him, How long, Lord? verse 11 Isaiah six eleven until the cities lie ruined until the houses are left deserted but as oak tree leaves a stump when it's cut down so the holy seed will be the stump in the land well that's weird oh here's what he's saying how long Lord he's like well the oak tree is going to be cut down you imagine this imagine a tree getting cut down and something is going to grow out of the stump. It's going to look like the tree is dead. That's how you're going to preach. Keep preaching till the tree is dead. But there's going to be a little branch that grows out of the tree. You know what that branch is? Jesus Christ. The, the branch of David. The Lion of Judah. Grows out of this dead tree. And this is like... Hundreds of years after Isaiah's ministry of preaching to people who won't listen, here's the point. Here's what I want you to understand. God, what what God is saying to him is Isaiah, I have a purpose that you don't understand. Your job is to preach the word and be faithful. Don't think that you control the results you might have someone in your life that you think this person would never believe the gospel. When you, when, and so therefore, I'm not gonna tell them about Jesus. When you do that, what you show is that you think that you control the results of the message, but you don't. The results are in God's hands. It's always a miracle when someone comes to know Jesus. So what if God gives you that ministry? No one listens, but like Isaiah, maybe God is preparing this generation for his return. And he wants you to preach to people who won't listen so that he can get ready to come back. And we know that this gospel will go to the ends of the earth and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And so actually preaching the word is the only thing you can do in this life that will not fail, ever. So Paul wants him to preach the word even when it's not popular. Number three, the third command in this little 2 Timothy 4.2 is to correct. He says, correct. Now, this is, let me explain this point. We need red ink. Let me me explain this. Okay. Um, I'm going to give you guys a quiz. All right. How many of you think true or false? True or false? The area of a circle. Don't don't raise your hands on this, right? Because because just yeah, we don't need that. But just in your minds, answer this true or false question. The area of a circle is two pi r. Two pi r. Is that true or false? The answer is false that's wrong the area of a circle is not 2 pi r the area of a circle is pi r squared the circumference of a circle is 2 pi r so so I say I say the area of a circle is 2 pi r and you're like and I say that's wrong and you're like oh no it's not wrong and I'm like well what's your argument you're like well I feel that it's wrong I feel that I'm right about that. I'm like, oh, sweet, well, let's just plug in the numbers and test it out. And you're like, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Because my feelings about that are what's true, like it's my truth that it's right. So just deal with it. And I'm like, no matter what universe you're in, the area of a circle is just never going to be 2 pi r. So you know what you need? You know what all of us need? Because all of us have these feelings about the world that are just wrong, like they don't match reality. So you know what we all need in our lives? We need a teacher in our lives with some red ink that can say, wrong answer. I have the answers, and actually, you're wrong we need someone all of us i need someone like i need red ink in my life somebody to look at me and say mark your passion for politics right now is just not reflecting the spirit of jesus the gentleness and love of jesus like i think you're a little off from jesus right now and so someone needs to come and love me enough to correct me or hey mark In your marriage, I I see these these patterns of whatever, and and I just love you, and I I think you might be a little off on this. Well, we need red ink in our lives, and you know what the red ink is? What the truth is, is God's word, and that's why we're going to spend some time with the Lord here in a little bit, and we're going to let you go in just, just a little bit, and and we're going to let the Lord speak to you and, and, and just kind of bring you back and maybe speak to you about your life in, in some ways. That's what the word does, is it corrects us. I want to give you a little picture of this. Um, here's, here's, I want to show you a picture of my life, okay? I'm going to give you, a, this is a day in the life of Mark Aaron. So do you remember me? Do you remember what I look like? I'm just like a stick figure here on the left. Um, so this is me. Um, this represents the path of righteousness. That path is, is the word of God. That's the straight path of righteousness to follow Jesus. And this is one day in the life of Mark Aaron. So next picture. So here's kind of what happens, all right? On the top and bottom, the top are sins of, of commission. You know what sins of commission are? Sins of commission are uh, sins that you commit commission. Like you commit those sins. You do things you should not do. Well, on the bottom, I've got sins of omission. You know what sins of omission are? Like sins, things that you omit from your life. Like good things you omit. So you sit around and play video games all day, and uh, you're in your dorm room gaming all day, all night. And you're like, "Uh, I didn't do anything sinful. Well, it's not about what you did that was so evil. Uh, It's all the things you didn't do, right? I mean, it's like they say about lazy people. Why do people bother lazy people? They didn't do anything, right? That's sins of omission. Like all the things you should do, like praying for people, loving people, serving people. Okay, all right, so there it is. Here's, Here's my life in a day. Next picture. Okay, a day in the life of Mark Aaron. Here, you ready for this? boom, there's me going through my day following Jesus. You know what the, that red ink right there are all the times that I drift into sin, okay? When I, see that down, see the initial spike that goes down? That's because when I open my eyes, the first conscious thought that I try to have in any day is the Lord's Prayer. The first, like, conscious thought that I want to have in my mind is our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I kind of pray through the prayer and, uh, and I actually say it. I want that to be the first thing on my vocal cords is our Father. And uh, you know what? I, a lot of times I don't do that. So I start off my day, I open my eyes and I've already drifted into self-doubt, self-hate. Uh, I don't know if I can get out of bed, right? Like my day starts not following Jesus and then I kind of come back blah, 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 and I'm going through my day, and you're like, why the drifting at the very end? What what happened there? Like, I went way down, and then it spiked toward the end of the day. Well, that's the, when I come home from, like, I'm a, my job is to follow Jesus. <laughs> like, I get paid to, uh, like, not sin, but I, I do, and I kind of hold it together most of the day. um, And so, but what happens there, that little, like, like, sudden spike down is, uh, that's like about, 4, 4.35 when I get home from work, and uh, my wife says, uh, you know, hey, I need you to help with the kids. And I'm like, I don't know, I just want to sit down and I kind of check out all the news feeds and what's going on in the world, and uh, I, I've got my phone out, and, and so I'm like sinning by just being disengaged, apathetic dad, abdicating my responsibility to do all the things that I should be doing And I'm just, like, absorbed in in this. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Like, the spike up. So it's a sin of commission. Like, I'm not helping out, not serving. And then all of a sudden, you know, one of my kids, like, hits me with a football inside. And it knocks something else off and shatters a vase or something. And I'm like, what are you doing? And I start yelling at him. That's the spike up, the sin of commission. Um, Just that burst of anger. And and here's the point. And then I kind of come back and end my day, blah, blah, blah. Here's the point Guys The the issue here is um, I need God's word To correct me Because the way this generation Lives their life is there is no Black line it's just I go wherever I want. I do whatever I want. And they're, like, it's like people's feet are firmly planted in midair, right? Like that's this generation. Like I just do whatever I feel. It's my truth. Nobody, like you're just this wandering line. And there's not even a destination at the end of the day. It's just kind of I do whatever I want. And people are lost and confused. But church, we need, we need God's word to correct us. Number four, he says rebuke. This is a very quick point. Uh, He says, rebuke. God's word, it rebukes us. You know, we don't want correction, but we need it. We need it in our lives, right? So here's the point. You know someone loves you if they have the courage to tell you the hard thing. You know someone loves you if they have the courage to tell you the hard thing. Someone that actually loves you is not just going to affirm every single thing you believe. Well, today I'm feeling that, you know... One plus one is three, and you're like, oh, man, that's great. I'm just happy you believe that. It's like, no, you, they're going to love you enough to tell you the truth, right? And the fifth thing he says is, and encourage each other with, with great patience and careful instruction or teaching. Um, great patience, careful instruction. Here's the point here, number five, don't weaponize the Bible. Don't weaponize the Bible. Here's an oxymoron. Yeah, man, I was yelling the gospel at somebody today. <laughs> like, those things don't go together. Like, I was yelling the gospel at a person in anger. That, those things don't go together. Paul's saying when you do this, when you preach the word, when you speak the good news of the gospel, it needs to be in the tone of gentleness, patience, patience careful instruction. Chapter 2, verse 24, the Lord's servant must be gentle to everyone, patient, instructing opponents with gentleness. Remember, love is patient. I'm just telling you right now with social media, here's kind of a, a little hack, life hack, life tip. Don't post in anger. If you read something, and it makes you mad. What's the first thing that Paul says love is? Love is patient. Like, take a day and just kind of think about it. Like, do I need to post this really thing that I'm outraged about that just happened in my city and I'm mad and I'm going to tell everyone how wrong, blah, just, oh, that instant outrage is the spirit of our age and it's not Christian Right? Even no matter how horrific something is, like yes let it outrage you and take some time to pray about it think about it, process it before you let the entire world know. That, that's a thing. He's saying don't weaponize the Bible. Don't turn this book and this truth into a weapon to hurt people. Love is patient. Okay, so here's the end of the story the wolf story the wolf comes Kids and grandkids out in the by the pond or by the lake. The wolf comes running in. The Ku Falls had a dog named Bo. And Bo is a golden retriever. I Many of you guys know a golden retriever. Golden Retrievers, it's like the sweetest breed of dogs ever. This golden retriever. Bo, never bit anyone, never growled at anyone. Bo, the golden retriever, comes running out of the house, out of the cabin. Boom, busts open the door, runs out, and runs toward the wolf. Jumps in front of the wolf, between the wolf and the family, and his Back curls up and he growls and just. "Ah!" And my friend Joe, he said, I have never seen anything like that in my life. It's like our dog just had this instinct, this kind, gentle dog, all of a sudden sensed threat of this wolf and just darted out and stood between the wolf and the kids that's what Jesus is like that's what good shepherds are like they are so gentle and kind but when a wolf comes in To try to steal away the sheep. And it's never obvious. That it's a wolf right. It's not like modern day false prophets. Have like wolf costumes on. Where you can see the zipper in the back. And like that's funny. Like don't let them into our church right. No they look. I mean this wolf like look like a dog. Or whatever right. You don't always notice the wolf. But that's what Jesus says. We need to be on our guard against. And so. He says, verse three, look at, look at chapter four, verse three. He says, "For this is why you have to preach the truth. Remember, this is what we read earlier. The time will come when people will not tolerate sound teaching, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth, will turn aside to myths. Boy, these verses didn't age well, did they? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but people today, my experience of people is they love to hear truth. They love to be corrected, right? I feel like our culture just upholds and honors the scriptures and the word of God. No, right? That's, they don't want the truth. They don't want the truth. They want their truth. They don't want God's doctrine. They want their doctrine. So they do, and we do exactly what the Ephesians did. We get teachers and books and podcasts and psychiatrists and news feeds that affirm our feelings. It's like if it feels right to you, it is right. That's the culture we live in. That's the spirit of our age. Imagine this. Imagine um, Gordon Ramsay comes to you. It's like, hey, I've got this restaurant in, in New York City And I actually need you to run the restaurant. I need you to be the master chef of this restaurant. And you're like, dude, that's awesome, but I don't know how to cook, right? He's like, don't worry. I've got all the recipes, the exact recipes. You can follow them. I've got instruction manuals and all these things. So just, I need you to, to run my restaurant, but here's my instruction to you. Stick to the recipe don't change my recipe stick to my recipe and so you're like right, okay got it got it got it he takes off and you're running this restaurant and things are going great uh, you, you got this sophisticated highbrow new york city people coming in spending like thousand dollars on a meal and you're you're just you're following the recipe and then all of a sudden something happens like people stop coming and you're like gordon ramsay He's going to be ticked off because people aren't coming anymore and so you do you find out you discover that if you tweak his recipes a little bit people like the food better so you know what you start doing you're like you know what i found that if i add a little bit more sugar people will like this better and then you're like you know what else if I put a little monosodium glutamate in here, like it just keeps people coming back. They can't stop eating my chicken. So use a dash of MSG. And then you find out like people are coming and pretty soon you're like, I'm going to try it. I'm going to go there. THC. So you start putting a little weed in the food, Right? the mashed potatoes with some wheat in it, some MSG. It's sweet, and people are like, whoa, dude, this is awesome. Pretty soon, you're like, I can save money by taking the real maple syrup and replacing it with corn syrup. And the strawberries, why do we need strawberries anymore when we've got red food dye? I'm just going to put a little coloring in there, make it look good, and then you start realizing, you know, if I had some preservatives, I can package this stuff. And it can sit here for years. And I can sell it. And I don't have to worry about refrigeration and all those things. And, and, and then one day, I mean, you've got this rocking restaurant in New York City. And you're like, man, Gordon Ramsay's going to love this. And Gordon Ramsay comes in. And he's like, hey, I'll order some of my whatever just, just this uh i'm i want to say some fancy food but i don't know any okay <laughs> something somebody say something really like sounds french some Mignon. Mignon. there you go thank you and he sits down to eat it and all of a sudden he's like he puts his fork and knife down and he's like what have you done I just changed some things. I mean, I had to make it more palatable to the people because they didn't like the food anymore. Salt Company, Jesus Christ is coming back. And we will give an account for what we told people. Did we tell them the truth? And what are you going to do? When all of a sudden, speaking the truth means losing your job. My wife was in uh, Veritas Kids, our church, helping in children's ministry, and a recent college graduate was talking to her about our principal, and she's like, "Yeah, our principal like makes us all like put up the pride flag in our classrooms, and we have to read these books that are like LGBTQ books, and these little first graders that's." kind of teaching them to question their sexuality. What are you going to do when your principal hands you that book and that flag and says, this is what you must do. This is how you're going to educate our kids, your class, and you as a first grade teacher, what are you going to do? What am I going to do when preaching the word will mean thinning out the crowds, when salt company will no longer want to be the salt of the earth because they don't want the truth? What are we going to do when this crowd shrinks down to just a handful of people who really want to follow Jesus and really want to be salt in the world? Where will you be? And what motivation do you have to stay faithful when it gets hard and when obedience doesn't make sense like Isaiah preaching to people who don't care, won't listen? And Paul says, this is how it ends. And these are some of the last words that Paul writes in his life. He says, but as for you, Timothy, exercise self-control in everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering The time for my departure is close. He's saying it's like the loosening of a ship. When sailors would loosen the the ship from the ropes that held it to the dock, he's saying my ship is about to sail. I'm about to die. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. This is like an Old Testament sacrifice language for like, my death is going to be like an an offering poured out on the altar of God. And he says, verse 8, there is reserved, or no, sorry, verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. There is now reserved for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but all, to all who have loved his appearing. The last thing I want to say is, people only do hard things if they are convinced that it's worth it. Are you convinced that eternity will make your suffering worth it? Are you convinced that the resurrection of the dead will make rejection in your philosophy class worth it? Rejection in your family, is it worth it? Paul's saying the crown of righteousness is why we are unafraid, and we're going to talk more about this tonight but I just want to just end with this, this thought that someone asked uh, this guy, what's heaven going to be like? And he said, heaven, just imagine the 10 best moments of your life. It's going to be like that forever. You guys, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be worth it. We sang about it last night. I hope we sing that song again. Um, but Salt Company, don't lose your saltiness. Stay salty. Stay a people of truth and grace. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for these students, Lord. As they go into some time alone with you, as as we worship, would you um, speak to us? And then as we go spend time alone with you, would you draw near to us? Some of us have wandered From you some of us have drifted so far from you we we wonder if if we can even be real followers of you jesus would you just bring us back to the path of righteousness again jesus we we invite you to come close come near and meet us in jesus